It's Monday, May 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser, and from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, gents. Hello. You too. Fitting that Taylor Muckerman is here representing Stock Advisor Canada because this will, in fact, be International Week. On market is that the case? Yeah, that's yes. right. We get some guys in it's, for uh, yes. oh yeah, yeah, right. Australia, Australia tomorrow. Germany on Wednesday. Full UK on Thursday. Very nice. Full global. Full Taking g- over the Foolery Studio. Exactly. Full global. So let's start with the news from the global company. We referenced this uh, this story when they reported earnings recently, but McDonald's. In the wake of their most recent earnings, stock was up a little bit, I believe, Jason, on that day, in part because Steve Easterbrook, who's been CEO for about an hour and a half, (laughs) came out and said, on May 4th, we're coming out with our plan to turn the company around. And lo and behold, they did. They did. And so this morning, Easterbrook unveiled this plan, which basically involves restructuring McDonald's into four segments by region. Um, the United States, which is the largest market, uh, international lead markets, high growth markets, which is China, Italy, Poland, Russia, South Korea, and others. Um, long story, and there's also some stock buyback as part of this restructuring. It seems like when I, whenever I hear a CEO talking about trimming bureaucracy, I, that just translates to me into we're going to lay some people off, <laughs> pretty much. And maybe you likely. know, maybe in terms of the overall business, that's that's a positive thing. But the market is not reacting all that positively to this turnaround plan. No, and I mean, I guess really the the question I have, you know, the primary source of the company's woes today is traffic. I mean, you know, quarter in, quarter out, every month we see these reports of just these, you know. Flat comps, negative comps, uh, you know, falling operating in income, and and so really the bottom line for for McDonald's as with any restaurant is going to be traffic. You need more people in your restaurant, and and I you know this this plan doesn't necessarily really answer that question. I mean, I, there's this point where you know they want to talk about uh, becoming a modern progressive burger company. The problem with that is that there are a lot of those already around, mm-hmm. right? So, so McDonald's is playing catch up from from the very beginning here in trying to sort of become something that a lot of its newer, younger competitors already are, and and with a brand that has uh, not communicated that right probably ever. I mean, that's not really what the brand uh, you know communicates for for most people. It's you know they they have to figure out a way to sort of, of communicate that now. So I mean, I, I applaud you know him getting out there and doing this. I mean, the worst mistake he could make is to sit there and kind of do nothing, and and you know even worse really would be to to just kind of do something sort of half heartedly. I mean, I think this could be kind of a blessing really for him in that. You know, I mean, expectations really probably aren't all that high. So he could he could try a few things and and uh, and see what works. But you know, they're moving more towards the franchise model. I mean, they're going to refranchise a, a handful of uh, of stores there to bring to bring that up to probably about I think ninety percent of their stores will be franchised at that point. So I think they're kind of admitting defeat in one sense, saying that listen, we we can't really you know manage all of these stores. Thirty six thousand restaurants. We can't do what Chipotle did. We can't buy them all back. No, they they because can't once do upon that. a time Chipotle did franchise some of their locations. Right. That didn't work. They and, bought them back. And you know, I mean, I've, I've mentioned this time time and time again here uh, when we had the Five Guys co founder Jerry Murrell here uh, to speak with us, and, and, and he 
you know, mentioned that, wow, if he could do anything, it would be to buy back all of his franchised operations because, number one, the quality control, and then number two is that they're just they're basic, you know, just cash machines. McDonald's isn't going to be able to do that, obviously. I mean, it's just too big of an operation. So, I mean, what they need to do is focus on operational efficiency. I think that the the, the new business segments, the new segments is confusing to me. Like, I understand where they're coming from, at least trying to, to assign sort of, you know, the U.S. and then sort of the state European operations and the growth opportunities and then emerging markets. But geographically, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that's going to probably be difficult to manage and communicate to investors. Time will tell. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is anything that makes me feel any more compelled to, to go buy McDonald's stock today, but, you know, we'll wait and see. Well, and Taylor, just to put a fine point on it, the stock isn't tanking. The stock's down about half a percent. So, if, if anything, it seems like <laughs> While not wholeheartedly giving Steve Easterbrook and his team the benefit of the doubt, mm-hmm. it also seems like on some level people are saying, "All right, well, th- this is maybe interesting. Maybe this works, but you're going to have to prove it to us." Yeah, this is definitely like a, a show me that you're going to actually make this happen. This time, I can't count how many times that McDonald's has come out and say we're going to change some things, and then they try, and then it just it doesn't work out. To me, in my mind, the biggest thing is is branding with McDonald's. You brought up five guys in and out burger. People almost people almost brag that they're going to those places. Whereas with McDonald's, you're almost <laughs> like, you know, oh yeah, I went to McDonald's last night. But if you went to Five Guys or In and Out Burger, you're like, I had this and I had this and like everyone was with us and it was packed and and I think that there's just competition there on the branding side that people are more excited to go to other restaurants than they are to go to a McDonald's. Oh, you guys went out to lunch yesterday? Really? Where'd you go? Uh, McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we got an email from uh, John uh, John Martz uh, weighing in on this issue. Um, uh, and I'll just read, because he, he was curious, to, and he sent this email in advance of the turnaround plan being unveiled this morning. Um, but John writes, among other things, a majority of McDonald's profit appears to come from soda purchases. I'd like to know what their replacement uh, uh, to soda will be as conti- as people continue to re- reduce their consumption of soft drinks. I honestly do not see them able to survive the next 15 years if they cannot solve the issue of dwindling soda sales, which currently provides between a 500 and 1,000% profit percentage. It's a good uh, question. I, I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if the numbers that John shares are accurate, but I think directionally, he raises a great point mm-hmm. because if that's and and you know to your point, Jason, this is a business where it's so big, it's so mature that a couple of percentage points here or there, whether it's in same store sales or in uh, revenue profit margin, that can make a pretty big difference for a company of this size. Mm-hmm. And if they're fighting against certainly what we've seen in North America, a now more than ten year trend of declining soda consumption, that's just one more. Challenge they have to deal with. It is, and I mean, you know, to to be sure, soda sales are you know higher margin sales that companies recognize. Um, you know, we've we've seen Chipotle even in calls before talk about earnings uh, being affected because of uh, lower lower soda sales. And, and I think that you know McDonald's isn't the only one facing this challenge. I mean, any any restaurant out there that that serves soda is going to face this challenge to a degree. Um, but I mean, you know, I. It would be nice. It will be nice for them to be able to offer up alternatives. I, I, I think this is probably a bit of a, a longer term sort of headwind. I don't think it's something that is going to necessarily affect the business, you know, in the next three to five years. I could see, you know, ten years from now, 
certainly the pendulum swinging more towards uh, alternatives in in the companies that offer more alternatives now are going to you know become less and less dependent on those soda sales you know assuming they have other options out there i mean i think you know coke's purchase of coca-cola's purchase of honest tea was a a very bright one and and i think you know one of the things that i've seen with honest tea is they now are offering uh, their their own soda product right it's honest fizz and you know this is an all natural no colors i mean you get orange soda but it's clear um, and and so I th- I wouldn't be shocked at all to see more and more uh, you know substitutes like that being served. Now they're going to cost a little bit more, and and that'll probably end up uh, you know being passed along to the consumer as well. But I mean, nevertheless, it's a good point he brings up. There's yeah. a there's a reason why you get free refills on soda and yep. not your dollar menu cheeseburger because the margins. I mean, if you can take that bag of syrup and turn it into several thousand cups of soda, you're dealing with. I mean, yeah. Probably in the thousand percent returns on those. You know what? If I'm going to pay money for orange soda, damn it, I want. (laughs) I want the color. I want it to be neon orange. That's kind of freaky. I bought a six pack of that stuff for my daughters, and I I just poured it in a glass. It's really weird. The grape soda is clear. It's just, but you know, on the flip side, hey, you know, you're probably saving your teeth. uh, uh, You know, few a few more minutes. I wonder if your senses. You're like when you see this color is clear. Does it taste as grape or does it taste as orange? It tasted fine to me. We got some turnover in the executive suite of one of the biggest tech companies in the world, and that is Cisco Systems. The company announced this morning that John Chambers, longtime CEO, will be stepping down in July. Chuck Robbins, who has been with the company since the mid to late 90s, will be moving to the corner office. Chambers stays on as executive chairman, and the stock up a little bit today. On no other news than this, I mean, it's not lighting the world on fire, it's up about half a percent. Uh, at first, uh, here were my reactions in this order. My first reaction was, "Well, it's about time," uh, because for as for as great a job as Chambers has done in growing that company yeah, over, over the long years, term, yeah. over twenty years, you know, someone had tweeted out earlier today when he took over, their annual revenue was two billion dollars. Now it's close to fifty billion. I get that, but in terms of the stock performance, this has been a woeful underperformer over the last five to ten years. So my first reaction was about time, um, and my second reaction was uh, I, I don't know that this is really going to matter. They're putting in a longtime lieutenant, but then I thought of Microsoft and Seth Nadella, who took over uh, for Steve Ballmer about fifteen, sixteen months ago, and that stock is up, I guess, somewhere north of thirty percent since Nadella took over, and part of that is he really is trying to take that behemoth of a company in a different direction. So, you know what? I'm not going to write off Chuck Robbins, because for all I know, he's going to try and take Cisco systems in a different direction. Most definitely. I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see if Chambers could, in hindsight, you feel like he'd love to have just pulled a George Costanza and gone out like in 2001 or so. Like Bill Gates <laughs> Like did. if you see the stock chart, it's like it's kind of just like this just sort of little slow grade up. But man, right in there in that like 99 to 2001 region, and it's just amazing to see the, st- the spike there. Um, and that just shows you how really out of whack the, the market was in general at that time. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, sort of optimism that was more or less unfounded at the time but you know I, I think that new leadership is always refreshing I mean I think it's always something that can can bring a new perspective to even the most established businesses and I mean look at you know look at Yahoo for example I mean that's 
you know, something that seemed to have gotten so stale and so unimportant and so more or less irrelevant. And Marissa Meyer comes in there three years ago, and shareholders have certainly won during that time. And, and I would argue that they definitely have a, a better presence online today than they, than they have over the past you know, decade or so. Uh, it remains to be seen, obviously, what uh, kind of work can be done at Cisco. It's a very big company in a very difficult industry. Uh, but, you know, he, he had a good run there. I mean, he did a lot of good things, uh, you know, at, at Cisco. And I imagine we'll see some sort of new directions as, as well. Well, you saw the last quarter, there's the best revenue growth in three years. So maybe things are kind of turning around. Maybe they're switching at a good time uh, for, you know, some of this momentum to continue with somebody else. I doubt Chambers is going to lose all communication with the company. He said it's back with a vengeance uh, on that last quarter conference call. Um, and so, you know, you look forward to maybe uh, some new things happening. They do say China's still slow with products coming out of China that compete with Cisco, but other emerging markets are snapping up their products. So, um, you know, there's momentum is potentially there for, for a new guy to take the reins, even though he's been there for 18 or 19 years already. It's not completely new blood, but at the same time, um, it's a new leader in charge. Well, and I, I don't think you want to throw a completely new. Uh, uh, let me put it this way: I think Alan Mulally joining Ford Motor and turning that company around. I think that's the exception. It's a mm-hmm. wonderful exception, but it's the exception, not the rule. Yeah. Generally, with companies of that size, you don't want someone who's brand new to the company mm-hmm. coming it, in there. It seems like he earned it because there were multiple names being tossed around for years that were expected to take the pl- take the place of John Chambers, um, and then you come out with. This new CEO, and uh, that's which I think means that over the next few months we should expect to see executives leaving Cisco because yeah, they didn't get the top they job. They got I mean, burned a little bit. A good point, though. I mean, the difference between Ford and and Cisco. I mean, Ford obviously was in the middle of very very desperate times, and the business was was really in need of a turnaround. And, and Mark Fields actually was really the candidate, and he was one of the names in that hat to take that job. Um, you know, until until really kind of the last moment where they realized, okay, maybe he's just not quite ready yet. And and so you know, hats off to Fields in that case for being able to sort of swallow his pride a little bit, step back, and let Alan Mulally come in there and sort of you know play at his vision, so to speak. And Cisco's obviously not in that type of a situation, so for sure, bringing someone up on uh, from the inside with an intimate knowledge of the business, but he'll be able to put his own sort of leadership spin on things, and you know, it remains to be seen how that'll play out. But I suspect he'll do. I suspect he'll do well. It was a big sports weekend with the Kentucky Derby and the. Mayweather Pacquiao fight. You know, my name was in the the uh, Fool's Errand Derby really? thing this year. I was war. Uh, what was it? War War Story. Yeah. So didn't stand a chance. <laughs> so every <laughs> it was an interesting finish. Just a little uh, bit of background on that. Every month at the Motley Fool, we have something called the Fool's Errand, and what happens is someone's name is picked at random. An employee who's been here at least a year, their name is picked at random, and they are sent away for two weeks. And it's a way to just say, look, at some point in the next month, take two weeks and you're off. And you can have no contact with the company and just go and have an adventure and... and Come back and tell us what you did. Yeah, come back and tell us what you did. And so, the people who organized the Fool's Errand this time around uh, took the uh, horses in the Kentucky Derby 
And and the longer you've been at the company, the greater your odds are of winning. So they took the horses with the best odds. They picked names at random, and the people who had been here the longest got the horses with the best odds. Mm-hmm. You've been here a while, Jason, but not five years, not yeah. as long as people like Bill Mann and Bill no, Barker. Not American Pharaoh long. Winning. And Bill Barker ended up winning because his name was attached to American Pharaoh. Yeah. So so he will and really. It's it's wonderful for Bill and for those of us who work with him. It's a it's a two week vacation from Bill, <laughs> so that's that's nice. Um, but the from a business standpoint, that obviously has a, a slight effect on our business. But but from a bigger business standpoint, the Mayweather Pacquiao fight really became not just a boxing story, but really more of a business story because you had the pay per view. There there are a couple angles here. One is just the hundreds of millions of dollars. HBO and Showtime are getting from the pay-per-view. Oh you have the and I didn't pay money because I guess it was a hundred dollars. Hundred bucks, yeah. So a hundred dollars to pay, to pay for this event. Then you had, regardless of cable company, it seemed like there were pay-per-view outages. People were ponying up a hundred bucks to watch this fight, and I saw one report that that uh, Time Warner Cable <laughs> apparently. On if you called to complain, if you called their customer service line, I saw one report that that was reporting a twelve-hour wait. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, I saw another report that said the Comcast stopped taking phone calls altogether, <laughs> which seems like probably the best move. That's on a par Saturday. for the course, um, <laughs> from what I understand. So you had that, and then you have the Periscope story, which is, and Jason, you've talked about this. You've Periscope is the live video streaming app. There's there's Meerkat. Is is another one. Periscope is the one that Twitter owns, right? And so you had people who were at the fight, but even more people who were who had bought the pay per view. They finally got that worked out, and they're just holding their phone <laughs> up to their television, and they're saying to the world, "Hey, if you follow me on Twitter, you can watch the f-. now." Granted, it, you're watching a video stream of my television from my phone. <laughs> you know from my phone, yeah. and yet. There were plenty of people tweeting about, I watched the fight for free because I was watching it on Periscope. And this is this is a big problem so for the, these companies. Huge. In the name of market research, I, I will go ahead and admit <laughs> that I, I, did, I did, in fact, watch this fight on Periscope. Now I, I I didn't have any intentions. I well, thought I was going just to get on you because it wasn't worth a hundred bucks. What, what, I was what a be, selfless human being! I <laughs> thought I was going to be asleep at this point. My daughters were having sleepovers, and I was still awake because little kids running all around the house. But uh, you know, I I started thinking, okay, I'm I'm not the biggest boxing fan in the world. To me, the sport's kind of you know lost its luster. But I thought, man, it'd be interesting to see if you know Periscope is. You know, seeing any any traffic here, and so I, I, you know, I open the app, and you can click on this little globe icon that shows you what's what's being streamed around the world. And, and I mean, I was I was pretty floored to see how many people were doing this, because in many cases, what they they were really trying to make this as professional as possible. Like they would find a place where they could put their phone so that it would be stable, yeah. and it was it was like you were in their living room. There were streams that had nine thousand, ten thousand people watching. There were streams that had two hundred fifty people watching, and it seemed like any time one shut down, ten more would pop up. And and so you know I'm I'm sitting here thinking my God this is this is the beginning right I mean we we saw an article not long ago about I think it was the New York Yankees saying that they were going to be very vigilant about people maybe periscoping games from the stands you know the first thought that steps in your mind is wow thirty forty thousand people you're going to try to police that good luck yeah you know, it right. sort of makes you feel like th- this is certainly something that is is going to change the face of entertainment and particularly obviously live entertainment I don't know. 
how you stop it. I don't think you can. I mean, unless you just completely shut it down. I, I It was a funny tweet. I was having some back and forth on Twitter at the time of the fight, and, and uh, Jeff Ulick, who I follow and he follows me, and he said, the genie is out of the bottle, not going back in. Millions of people with a real-time broadcasting platform in their pocket. And I think that summed it up just perfectly. And all the people on hold with Comcast and Time right. Warner are watching it on their phones and, and while they're waiting for... streaming it their living rooms were thrilled to be able yeah. to do so. And they're, you know, some people making jokes like, hey, listen, you guys come bail me out if they arrest me. And I mean, I was half waiting for you know someone maybe to come knocking at my door on Sunday morning. <laughs> uh, and and I, I still hope that doesn't happen. But I mean, given the amount of articles that I've seen published of people who are saying, I watched it, you know, on Periscope and, you know, this is the future. I, 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 I agree. I think yeah. there's something to it. Taylor, I, if you're HBO and Showtime and you're trying to shut this down mm-hmm. as they were, I, I totally understand why you're trying to do that. But you don't even have to go back hundreds of years. Just look at the last 25 years. When information becomes free, mm-hmm. the track record of those trying to stop free in the dispersal of <laughs> you can't free take it back <laughs> information is not great. No. Well, look at what happened to newspapers. I mean, it's the same thing as anything else, right? The internet's just that's the great disruptor. It's 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 opened up the entire the, the world is so much smaller now than it ever has been before, and and that's not a bad thing at all. That's not a bad thing at all. And I, it's and it's you know as we've seen in the music industry, it doesn't even have to be. Free because yeah. you can look at Napster as this free distribution model, in, and that gets shut down for reasons of illegality. But then you have iTunes, mm-hmm. which is now selling songs ninety nine cents a pop, that sort of thing. Spotify, and, you know, for nine talk bucks to anyone who works in the music or at one time worked in the music industry, and they'll tell you how they just thought they were on a money train that was never going to stop, and then the brakes got slammed real hard. Mm-hmm. Now it's just concerts, but pretty soon you're going to be periscoping concerts. I, was so, just, yeah. you know, I mean, there are plenty of bands out there that are already opening opening themselves up to that. I mean, you had, I mean, obviously the Grateful Dead back in the day really spearheaded that taper-friendly movement where you have you know, just thousands of, of, of great concerts made available to the masses for nothing because, hey, they, they wanted that. They wanted to open themselves up to the entire world. We've seen more bands go that way. I think we're going to see more entertainment, more sports go that way. It's the, the, the people that work with this movement will be the winners. The ones that try to shut it down are going to be the big losers. Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Mm -hmm. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.